Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Over the Bridge Podcast. This is Bilal speaking. Today we've got Kwaku and Patrick with me and we've also got a very special guest who will introduce himself in just a moment. But before we get to that, Patrick, Kwaku, how are you doing? Yep, I'm good. All good. good. Life is good. Good week? Uh, yeah, it's been a very busy week as as it's yeah. kind of been the case recently, but you know just get for another week got the bank holiday this weekend so yeah man i can't complain I'm, I'm all good oh yeah i forgot about that bank holiday um yeah bro it's, i'm good i'm good i've uh it's weird though i'm we're like just hit the just past maybe the two-thirds point of ramadan so like um i'm kind of like I'm still suffering from Ramadan brain where like my mind is just super slow sometimes and I'm just <laughs> like mid conversation I just draw blanks and stuff like that so I'm hoping that's not going to translate too much into this I'm just <laughs> hopefully um yeah just listen and take in all the the brilliance of our guests today um but yeah otherwise I'm I'm good <laughs> just um yeah enjoying the last 10 days of Ramadan and yeah being grounded and what have you yeah I hear you and when when does it end When's the um, Eid? So it finishes on when we get the moon sighting on the 12th of May. Okay. We think we're going to go on the 12th of May and then we should be celebrating Eid on the 13th. So that's next next week. Yeah, okay. yeah. So That'll I took be cool. that, Yeah, I took that week off um, yes. just so I can just yeah, have that full week just to bake off and yeah, try not to be too uh, in my head and online and yeah working yeah do you spend is that a day that you're going to spend with your wife's family yeah, yeah. most likely not I feel like everyone kind of like tries to um i don't know it's always a bit of a competition as far as like who's going to be hosting but i think like her mom's <laughs> probably going to be doing a little barbecue uh, or something or whatever oh uh, yeah i hear you. it's the same in my family with christmas it's like there's always this big argument about are we going to my nan's house are we going to yeah. do that my mom's house and now i've like got my own son and i got my own family i'm like what happened this year because i've never been in this situation <laughs> before in my life um yeah. but but yeah, anyway, my week just has been, in case anyone cared, my week's been okay. Of course um, you I'm... care, Bilal. <laughs> <laughs> Tom's he's usually gonna... the guy that's so like, Tom's oh, how are you, Bilal? I know, he's the only one that cares about me. Nah, he's, um, <laughs> my week's been okay. I've just like been back working after paternity leave and I've forgotten just how tiring working a full day is. Mm. Um, and on top of like not sleeping as much. So it's been, it's been heavy, been heavy. But anyway, I don't think we're here to talk about any of the three of us because we've got a very special guest with us today. And I've been following her on Twitter for ages and always just wanted to just have a chat with her. So I kind of just sneakily said, come on a podcast so we can talk. And um, I'd love to kind of hear more about you. And I'm sure our guests will find you super interesting. So Jarrell Joseph, good morning. How are you? Good morning, everyone. I'm doing good. Thank you so much for the invitation. I really appreciate um, being here with you all this morning, this lovely Sunday morning. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Um, thank you so much for joining us this Sunday morning. It's funny because like everyone else seems a lot warmer than I am. I'm actually freezing cold this Sunday. But um, tell us a little bit about kind of who you are in a nutshell. I know those questions are hard. Like, tell me your bio, but like, how would you describe yourself? Yes. Well, first and foremost, I am from 
the nature island of the Caribbean, Dominica. And I am currently a research fellow in physical and chemical sciences at King's College, Cambridge. So that is me in a nutshell. I love that. I love that. And I, I think today it might be super interesting to hear a little bit more about your backstory because I think, you know, often, at least from my perspective, we look at STEM and we look at that kind of world as a very white male heavy or male heavy in particular space. Not really, at least in, here in the UK, do you ever hear of people from Caribbean islands being highlighted in that space, particularly black women. So it'd be amazing to kind of touch on that a little bit more. But Dominica, man, I've never been. Um, for anyone who's listening who's also never been, what's like the best things about Dominica as a place? Well, before I answer your question, I, I want to make the distinction that you will always hear Dominicans make, that it is not to be confused with the Dominican Republic, because <laughs> a lot of people confuse it with Dominican, because like, I've told people like, I'm from Dominica, and they start speaking to me in Spanish, and I'm like, no, 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 it's not, it's not the Dominican Republic, it's, it's different. Right. So um, so we pride ourselves on having a lot of rivers. We say we have a river for every day of the year, 365 to be exact. Um, it's wow. very mountainous island um, about I think about 70 percent of the island is just like mountains and greenery. And um, most people live along the coastline because of that. And um, yes, a lot of very friendly people good food good vibes yes black sand beaches yeah dominica is is they people normally say that like well when we're growing up people would say that if christopher columbus would come back to the caribbean (laughs) it would perhaps be one of the few islands that he would still recognize i don't know i don't know if i if i should use this as a way to promote dominica but like yeah 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 if you yeah i mean i'm i'm hearing it and i'm like oh i just want to be there right now like you know when you've been stuck in this cold country for so long and i'm like oh that sounds amazing i want to get out there do you miss it jerome I miss it so much. Yeah. Oh, I normally I normally go back like once a year. Mm. Well, when I was doing my PhD, I would go back once once a year, but since I came back for my postdoc, I haven't been able to go back because of pandemic and everything. Yeah. So I I miss it so much. Yeah. I bet, I bet, I bet. I'm thinking, I mean, obviously you moved from here from there to here to study or was that did you move here before? No. So I did my undergraduate studies at the University of the West Indies in Barbados. So, so yeah, so I moved from Dominica to Barbados to do my undergrad. And then after my undergrad, I stayed in Barbados for an additional two years to do my, to do my master's. So I did an MPhil in chemistry there. And then I moved from, while I was doing my, my MPhil, I applied to do a PhD at Cambridge. And so that is how I ended up um, moving over here to do my PhD. But then after my PhD, I took like a six month break. I was like, I cannot do anything related to work for like the next few months. I need a break. (laughs) And I went back, I went back home. So like I spent like some, some of the time in Barbados and some of the time in Dominica because my husband is actually from Barbados. 
And then I came back in <laughs> again to do my um, my postdoc studies. Yeah, so it's been maybe jumping around between Dominica, Barbados, and the yeah. UK for like the last maybe like seven years. So, yeah. Nice. So, what was it like studying at UE in Barbados? Because I've heard lots of good things about UE. Was it um because that's Barbados is where my family's from. So, if I remember correctly, it's, it's Cave Hill, the name of the campus. Yes. Yes. Yeah. What yes. was it like there? It was. I would put it as an experience of a lifetime. Yeah. When I was thinking about um, undergrad, there was a very close friend of mine who suggested that I apply to Cave Hill. And he mm. was like, if you want to sort of like really feel the Caribbean, you need to go to like UWE because UWE is yeah. a place where, and Barbados at the time. So the campuses were set up in such a way that Jamaica did, I think Jamaica did meds medicine trinidad did more of like the text the tech subjects and and engineering and then barbados did like law so so like these three campuses were set up in such a way that if persons did law they had to go to back to barbados so what you found is that barbados was like this island where like where the camp the campus in Cavill had like somebody from every part of the region yeah. and so it's like this big melting pot and you just meet like because like we know that we grew up knowing like okay we live in the islands and so on yeah. but you maybe don't really know somebody from like another island except if you have like a family member or friend or friend there yeah. but like my sisters were like joking the other day that when they came to my wedding in Barbados there was yeah. somebody at my wedding from like each Caribbean island so it was like a, <laughs> it was like a heads of government kind of a yeah. CARICOM <laughs> kind of meeting so That's it was it was really really nice it was it was a lot of fun we got to i got to make some of the best connections in my life and people who are still like really close friends of mine at ue and you get the sense of pride of being like a caribbean person that you probably would not normally get like from just staying in your own island because you get to appreciate what makes us similar but also what makes us so different because like it took me a while to really understand like Bajans and like how <laughs> how they spoke. Like I had people come and talk to me and I'd be like, what are you saying? Like, slow <laughs> down. I cannot understand what you're saying. So it took me a while to really, you know, like understand like different um, accents and so on. But yeah. after a while, like you come out with like the Yui accent where sometimes I say some things and I sound Trini. I'd be like, ah, oh, this thing tastes real good. And like, you know, like the Trini will come out and you just become like, it, it was a really beautiful melting pot. That's that's the best way that I can describe oh, it. Yeah. That sounds like an amazing university experience. I'm just thinking like, why didn't I apply to UE instead, man? Like, that seems like so much more up my street. That, that, to be fair, I loved Cambridge. So, no, this is a Cambridge podcast. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> man, that sounds so good. That sounds so good. Because, um, you know, I, I stayed in Barbados for um, a few months um, in my gap year before uni. And I remember thinking, like, if I didn't have a place at Cambridge, I would just stay here. Like, there's actually no need for me to go back to the UK. Like, I was just, like, so content and so happy. So... Yeah, it's nice to hear you had such a good time, good time in Barbados, and yeah, man. Joe, it sounds like you've done, like, you're a very kind of pure scientist in a sense. Like, when you say you did an MPhil in just chemistry by itself, usually when I think of people that do, like, postgraduate 
studies is like in a very specific kind of like space um and i just find that really interesting and i just wanted to hear as someone that i guess growing up i kind of saw myself as quite um i was kind of an all-rounder like i wasn't i didn't know is a funny way in like the way the school system set up and where you kind of told to take a the science route or kind of go down the liberal like arts humanities kind of route and i was quite loved both um so it's interesting to, to hear about like the stories of people that go down the, the, the science route because i ended up going down like studying economics and stuff but i was very close to going down there and i was wondering what kind of sparked your interest and love for science in the first place yeah, it's nice to hear you say that you were sort of like an all-rounder and so on, because I really consider myself to be more so that kind of person, like, growing up, because I was, like, very sort of, like, I had a lot of different interests. So I like I like maths, I like science, but I also like, like, other things. I like, I like fashion and I like sports and so... The, my interests were really, really diverse when I was younger. But there's this thing where, like, you when you're in high school, they push you to either study business subjects or science sub subjects at a certain point. Mm -hmm. So for me, that was like around like third form in secondary school. And so if you're very good at maths, teachers kind of encourage you to do the science subjects. So I did the science subjects not because like, oh, science was like my first love, or, you know, like people talk about like being like little scientists when they were five-year-olds. Like I don't consider myself that kind of person. Mm -hmm. But I was pushed into science and I really liked the subjects. Like I, like I, I took easily to it. Like I could like follow, I could like really get with the concepts but it was really what really sort of like pushed my path to where I am now would be I would say when I was in like the third year of my undergrad at Cable. so then in undergrad I did chemistry and maths again because I loved the subjects and I found them very in interesting but I had a research project to do for my chemistry major and I I did it was it was supposed to be either you you do research in a lab or you do research on a computer like a com a computational chemist and i realized early in my undergrad experience that i am not very good at labs <laughs> like i was really clumsy so i could answer the questions that that you had to answer for for the lab but to actually like do the lab i would just make so many silly mistakes in the lab i'm like this is not my thing i need to find something that is more me and then i approached my um lecturer who was the person who did the theoretical computation computational stuff and we started doing this re this research and this really cool new type of bond in chemistry and i was like oh this is this is so much more me like this feels so much more natural to like do research that is chemistry but on a computer mm. and so after undergrad, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I I had gone through a very difficult time in my, un, in my undergrad, like just a small segue. But um, when I was in undergrad, I lost both of my parents and I was kind of in limbo. I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. I had all of these plans to like apply to 
to do GREs and apply to schools in Canada and apply to the States. But then all of these kind of fell, fell by the wayside when I went through um, these experiences. And my, my supervisor who was doing my research project with me, he was like, um, you really take good to this project. And I approached to him and I was like, well, can I stay on to do like a master's? Because really I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew that what I was doing, I enjoyed it. So I decided to stay. And when I started working with him, he was like, you should really do a PhD, like your PhD material. And like, for me, like it was, it was really, it was not a plan. So I cannot say that I had this big plan of doing science for the rest of my life. It was more so things just fell in, into place. So as I said earlier, I had like a mm -hmm. close friend who told me to apply to UE. And then my teachers who knew what I had gone through when I was in on, undergrad, they encouraged me to apply to the master's. And while I was doing the master's, my master's supervisor em encouraged me to do the PhD. And I was like, um, I don't think I can go to Cambridge. Like Cambridge just felt like such a remote thing to me and I was also very scared to leave the Caribbean because when like stuff was going wrong and stuff like that in, in my life even though I was in Barbados Dominica was like a 50 minute plane plane ride so like I always felt like I could just jump on a plane and go back home if something went wrong if things were not going right and I felt like I'm gonna be all the way in the UK like this feels so far away but yeah it was really my supervisor who said Jarell you need to apply for the PhD you need to go go for it and I had no idea what a PhD really entailed when I when I decided to embark on a PhD but I knew that I really loved doing computational chemistry mm. and so I did I did the PhD and um, and again while I was doing the PhD I had all of these doubts as to whether whether this space is the space for me and whether I am good enough to be to be a chemist and so on and then yeah I came back I did I decided to come back for a postdoc and it was my my um postdoc um PI who encouraged me to apply for the fellowship so it was my story is really sort of like having like the right people in my life at yeah. the right time who really pushed me and guided me to like do these degrees and to study and mm. to like boost my confidence and that sort of a thing. So I won't say like, I could have probably ended up maybe in Hollywood. Because <laughs> <laughs> when I was younger, I used to act a lot. I used to do a lot of theater and so on. Like I could have probably, so like, I won't say that, um, that it was like, it was probably like a plan. It was more so right place, right time kind of thing, right person in your life. Yeah. Wow. That really speaks to like the, the importance of having you know um people that have your best interests at heart and like can encourage you at the right time and and sort of yeah guide you on your on your on your journey i suppose like it's a thing of the opportunities are presented to you but you've also got to you know like step up and and, and take them as well and and back yourself because yeah going from the caribbean to the uk so far away from home and like I, I assume that you'd never like you'd never traveled that far before. Um, is that correct or? 
I had gone to the US before, but right. not not over the Atlantic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and I think like going from the Caribbean to the US, I don't know. It seems like less of a culture shock to me, at least, than going from the Caribbean to the UK, because it's like it depends. Obviously, where in the US that you went, um, because um, yeah, like I have family in like Florida, and like when you go between like Florida and the Caribbean, like at least like the climate is similar and stuff like that but like to go from the Caribbean to like London I mean it's sunny today but more time it's like cold windy wet and and yeah just like the sort of the 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 culture difference as well so what were your first impressions when you when you when you got to the UK and how did they measure up to your expectations like what did you think it was going to be like um before you went there and then when you got there what was it like what did I think it was gonna be like? I don't know. I really didn't have a, I really didn't have a, any sort of like strong opinions as to what I would think studying um, in the UK was like, except for the fact that I, it just felt remote. It just felt like <laughs> I would not fit in. You know, yeah. like I would yeah. not fit in. Maybe maybe that is like what my general feelings were. Mm. But I think my first impression of being in Cambridge was so I started late in October. Oh. And the reason why I started late October is because I was waiting to get my visa, which okay. is like classic, classic story of somebody coming from like the Caribbean or Africa <laughs> or anywhere that have to apply for a visa to, to, to study in the UK. And yeah. so when I got here, it was sort of like, all the fresher sort of like introduction stuff was already completed and everybody had already put their heads down to start working. Right. And so I just threw myself right into work. But then what what immediately struck me was that the sun was setting so early. Yeah. Like like after like <laughs> after like a week of being here, like I would go into lectures and come out and it would be darkness and I'd be like what is going on? So I think like a lot of people told me about the cold and stuff like that and about dressing right for the cold and so on. Yeah. But they never really told me too much about the about darkness. The dark. yeah. And it was the, and all I, I feel like my first few months in Cambridge was all characterized by this darkness that I just couldn't yeah. wrap my head around. And so, yes, it was, it was totally it was totally something that I did not expect. Like I could yeah. deal with the cold. I could wear more layers and stuff like that. But like waking up and it's dark and like it's when it's like turning around for like two seconds and then it's dark again. I think that was that was very that yeah. was very difficult for me. And I think as somebody who grew up in the Caribbean and in specifically in Dominica, which is a predominantly black society, mm. like I never had to sort of like think about myself as like a black person mm -hmm. if 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 that makes sense like yeah. i was i was characterized more so like i am the daughter of so and so like that is so and so's daughter or that is the girl who went to pss that sort of a thing but not like black and white sort of a thing and mm. the uk was the first place where i really like realized oh i'm a black person mm. and you walk into rooms and you're the only black person there mm -hmm. and uh, yeah i and then you hear people talk about like different things sort of like um racism and stuff like that. but i couldn't wrap my head around it because it wasn't something that i grew up 
confronting. And mm. for the first few years I was here, and people would like my friends would talk to me about like experiences that they had. Most of similar experiences that I had with people here, I would just say that that person was in a bad mood or that person mm. like like what's wrong with her and stuff like that. But like, but then you start to realize. Um, my white friends don't encounter people with such bad moods as much as I do. <laughs> yeah. So then you start realizing that maybe this is not what you think it is. And yeah, yeah. so I think, I think, yeah, I, th- I would say the weather and sort of like it being more obvious that you're a black person because you like are normally in white spaces. Mm. And um, yeah, I think... Again, the culture of research is very different in Cambridge right. uh, than it was in at UWE. Because at UWE, when I did my MPhil, I was the only person who was studying what I was studying. And it was just me and my supervisor who could really talk about my research. Right. Whereas in Cambridge, like you could meet so many people who like they're not necessarily doing the same thing that you're doing, but they they're close enough that you can have this very in-depth, deep discussions, almost to the point where you just want to tell people, okay, calm down, like, let's talk about something else, you know? <laughs> so, like, the research culture is much different and people are yeah. really, really passionate about what they do and it's what they breathe and what they live and that right. sort of a thing. So I really liked that element of, um, to a certain extent, yeah. <laughs> of being here. And yeah, it's different. It's just two completely different worlds. But like, as people say, like, you don't come to Cambridge for the weather. So like, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so like, you know, you mentioned the challenges that you had, um, you know, with kind of um, being sort of one of very few black people um, in, 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 in spaces in Cambridge. Um, what did you, was there anything that you could kind of, turn to to kind of like for support like um I don't know when you sort of maybe felt homesick or slightly overwhelmed were there any spaces that um you know you could kind of resort to to kind of at least find a bit of um peace and I suppose like refuge yeah um so when I was a PhD student I was also a Gates Cambridge scholar and um, the the community of scholars are very diverse, and so that was really my my little community, my really my safe space as as a scholar because I made a lot of friends who were from not necessarily black, who were from like all different parts of the world, and um, and the black friends that I made there, you you realize that they have the same sort of stories as you have and they experience the same sort of things that you experience. And so it was really nice to know that you were not in this alone yeah. and that you could sort of um, speak to people who who shared similar similar experiences in their departments in Cambridge and so on. So I think that was that was really a really a big source of um strength and support to me mm. as a PhD student. And also I I kept really good I kept in touch um with friends and family back home a lot. Mm-hmm. And like my sleep schedule during my PhD was like synced with like the sleep schedule of my sisters back back oh, okay. home. Yeah, so yeah. it was like I would be up at very late hours and you know, they have been like really like a good source of like support. Even though I couldn't really talk to them about things that were going on in Cambridge because yeah. they probably wouldn't really like 
understand what was going on but just being able to like speak like myself and like yeah, be yeah. myself with people was nice yeah did you did you meet uh, any other um, dominicans or any other caribbean people when you were at cambridge there was one other person from dominica when i was doing my phd but he finished i think after my first year he finished oh, okay. he's okay. he is my first year or my second year he finished mm. he wasn't he wasn't there for for too long and i didn't really but the thing about it is that my grandmother mm-hmm. moved to the uk like i believe in the late 50s or early 60s okay and so i have a lot of aunts and uncles in the uk yeah. Okay, so okay. that again was also very a good source of help for me because like I would get on the train and go to London and I would yeah. visit like my cousins and so on okay. and that would be nice to like be up in Hackney and eating food that you're like you you're used to because yeah. um one of my very close uncles his wife is Jamaican and she makes very good food and like yeah, yeah. so like um so yeah, so I think that having like family in the UK also helped a lot. Although I have to admit that I did not go to Lon- London as often as I as I would have liked. But yes, so they really and sometimes they would come up to visit me and so on. So yeah. that was also like nice to yeah. 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 I think one one of the things that because obviously hearing your story, I've been smiling so much. Because I'm like, yeah, there's so many similarities um, in what you were saying to things I've heard before from a lot of people and things that I've experienced myself. Um, being a black woman from the Caribbean, particularly studying what you're studying, um, a lot of people might say that you're like a trailblazer, almost a role model for other young women. Um, is that something that you feel like or is that something that ever crosses your mind and how does that relate to you yeah I think my experiences with like thinking of myself in that way I think it was more so not thinking as specifically thinking of myself as a trailblazer but more so you feel a lot of pressure that you have to make it Mm. because everybody tells you oh my god you're the first person from Dominica to get a Gates scholarship you're the first person to do this you're the first person to do that and when you get people constantly telling, reminding you that you're the first this, first that, it puts a lot of pressure on you that you feel like you have to succeed because if you don't succeed, you let the whole side down. Mm. And I think being in Cambridge as a black woman from the Caribbean and not really meeting a lot of people who look like me or who share like a similar journey to me, it gave me like severe imposter sin- syndrome and I felt like, oh my God, like, do I really belong in this space? Like, am I the diversity hire? You know, all those kind of questions that you ask yourself when you have impo- imposter syndrome was something that I really didn't really speak about like before coming here, but you really sort of feel it because there's nothing that validates that what you, that what you're going through everybody else is going through it in, in in a sort of like a weird way right because like you go into these spaces and you're the only black person so like there must be a reason why i'm here like you ask yourself all of these different questions and i think that i think that that was like that was really hard on me and compounded with that sort of burden that you felt like you had to succeed like at 
there were points in time where I really felt like the PhD was like way too challenging and I was missing home too much and I wanted to like quote unquote give up. But then I felt like I could not allow myself to give to give up or to like not see this through because there was this sort of like immense burden on your shoulder so i think we carry like and people like message you and say oh my god like you inspire me so much and um and i want to go to kim kim cambridge and you're like oh my god if if i fail they're gonna be like you know they're gonna be like oh my god like it's not possible for me so like yeah it was a lot of it was it feel it felt like a huge burden on my shoulder and it, it still does like even like now as like a research fellow you always feel like you have to succeed because you you will let the site down but i think it has become less so of a burden and something that i have taken on more and i sort of like appreciate the fact that i have been given these opportunities that many people do not get who look like me and how can i sort of like paid forward and ensure that I am I may be the first but I'm not gonna be the last that there are other people who will follow behind after I mean that's amazing is it it does really bring to mind like the pressure of being the first or the pressure of being the one of the few and what that can feel like because you know on the one hand it's amazing yeah I'm there I'm doing all this stuff but on the other hand hang on, wait, if I'm now meant to represent or mean something or be a symbol of hope or something to someone else, and that's, that can feel even heavier on your the ability for you to succeed. Um, with with that, because, you know, I've been obviously looking up the Carrie Scholar that you've set up. Um, tell us a little bit more about some of the thought process behind it, what it is, and also what what the, the goals and the dreams for it. Yes, yeah, so... Carrie Scholar is a mentoring organization that I set it up with my um, husband back in 2017 to connect Caribbean students to mentors in their field of study. So the thought process behind it was basically when I when I got to Cambridge and I got the Gates scholarship and so on. Well, if I go back a little bit further, before I went to undergrad I was a teacher so I taught for a year and I like I made this real real good connections with students and when I got the Gates Cambridge scholarship a lot of these students were reaching out to me and they were like oh miss I saw like what you did and so on and I'm interested in applying or like they knew me through like the school system and and so on or people who knew me at UWE and they would reach out to me and they would ask me for all of this advice to about applying to um, to postgraduate studies or applying to the UK or the US in, in general. And I always felt that I could help the chemistry science people way better than I could help people who were in different fields. But then from my experience at UWE, I knew a lot of people who were in these different fields who could potentially serve as mentors for these students. And so the idea really stemmed from that, from knowing that, like, hey, you have this incredible network of people that, that you know, and even people that you don't know who are, who have gone through this process of applying to university and getting in and they've 
had all of these obstacles that they had to overcome and they they basically have the recipe of how to get it done and they are out there in in the world because you know the diaspora is much bigger than people who are actually in the caribbean right and so i was like well can we tap into that huge resource that we have of people who are all over the world whether they are in the caribbean or in different uh, or in different um countries can we tap into that resource and get these people to help these students um this basically to pay it forward and so we launched the organization and so how it works is that um both mentors and mentees apply to become part of Cairo scholar and we match mentees the students or the aspiring scholars we match them to somebody who is in their field of study or in their field of of work and they work closely with each other for a period of six months and get advice in terms of like applying for stuff career advice planning and so on because i think if if i just like if you listen to like my story a big big part of my story is or are the mentors who really guided me and for me i was lucky that i got like lecturers who paid interest in like what i was doing and you find that people like pe people like me are not uncommon because if you do very well that like lecturers will pay attention or if you don't do very well then lecturers won't they 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 will pay attention but they might not like they might just know you as somebody who doesn't do very well but then there are a lot of people in the middle who are so who have so much potential but who is looking out for them you know what i mean and so i think that a lot of people who go on to do very good exceptional postgraduate research work and so on are not necessarily the top person in the class they may have been but they but if you don't have somebody at home telling you like how to get things done it's very very hard and so having people from the caribbean who have gone through the experience to help these students i think is a way that we can all paid forward as Caribbean nationals and um, we can help the next generation and ensure that students have the opportunities or that the, at least the playing field is a little bit more leveled, that they have the tools that they need to be able to make it through the next stage of their academic journey or their professional journey. I really like that. I think that's so cool because when you were speaking and you know when you said the role of mentors and people that were important to you it made me think about even myself like I would never have even bothered thinking about university let alone Cambridge University had it not been for just a couple people who were like no I think you should do this and so many people out there are probably in a similar boat where you know they they might even have finished their undergrad and think I'm not good enough to do any further study because no one's they're supporting me um why do you think that it's important that the mentors specifically are people who are also from the Caribbean yeah I always envision Caribbean scholar to be something for the Caribbean by the Caribbean like fubu right for us by us that sort of a thing and I think I think we have the resource right and it's much different when you have somebody who you can relate to helping you as a 
I don't discredit help from like other people who are not necessarily from the Caribbean, but it's way different because they would have said, oh, I did experience this when I was in secondary school because I understand because I was in secondary school in St. Vincent and I understand what is what that is, what that is like. And so you feel that the person has a very strong connection to the struggles that you yourself have gone through. And I think it makes it it makes it much more tailored to your your own experience and your own realities as opposed to somebody telling you, oh, you can apply to like this 10 million schools. Like, you know, like some people in the US apply to like 20, 50 schools and stuff like that. But if you're from the Caribbean or if you're from, if you from somewhere where you know that like applying for all of these things are very expensive and it's a, a lot of process, then your your problem thinking skills and the way you go into this kind of things is much different. The way you think about applying for schools is much different because you have to sort of weigh things in a balance because you cannot just be um, throwing money any every, everywhere. So like the, the way you approach things is much different when you come from a similar background or when you have that really real Caribbean experience and I think we have the resource because even just with the people that I knew from UWE who had gone on to do like amazing things I have met so many other people through Kara Scholar who were in all different parts of the world and they're like yes I when I went to like Amsterdam it was so hard like I didn't know that I had to do this I really want to help a student back home if they want to do a similar thing because you have that tailored experience because somebody somebody who is maybe from Amsterdam who lived Amsterdam their whole life they probably don't have to think about like visa process and they probably don't have to think about all of the other things that we have to factor in as somebody from the Caribbean who might want to study there. So I'm not saying that people who have not walked the path of like growing up from the Caribbean cannot be good mentors. They can be good mentors in a different way because I have had people who said like, I just, I'm not from the Caribbean, I just want to help. I want to help students if they want to write good essays and stuff like that. And I say like, if we get an app, an applicant and all the person is interested in is in getting their essays re reviewed, I will link you up with, with, with that person. So we do judge everything on a case by case basis. And I do see like the value of having like other people help, but it's really a thing for us by us kind of mentality that I went into it, into the organization of Karen. Yeah. And I think that those things are important. You know, it is as much as it's great to have things that are like one size fits all and to have blanket approaches. It's also something so needed about this tailored bespoke I understand you I've lived it mm. I know the exact same barriers and the exact same hurdles and we mm. can go through this together and I think often at least what I've observed is that stuff can get forgotten or missed because mm. people are like we need a mentorship program but we want it to be inclusive but it needs to include everyone and then mm. it's suddenly no longer useful or mm. no longer serves that purpose yeah yeah yeah, Patrick, sorry, I know speaking over you. No, no, no. Um I was yeah, I was just gonna agree. Like um I think especially when it comes to um um to helping people from I guess um sort of minoritized uh backgrounds, for me I always feel that experience trumps intention. Um because I was having this discussion with um somebody that because I, I, I work on the diversity, equity and inclusion council at, at my job. Um and, you know, there's always a lot of people that um, 
are very um, enthusiastic to get involved, to pitch in and help. Um, but when, you know, the situation pertains to a specific group of people, I think it's so important that that group of people are the people that lead the initiative. Um, and, you know, obviously allies are very important. Um, but yeah, I always say that experience trumps intention. Like it's all very well and good, like um, wanting to help. Um, but it's, so, it's there's a lot to be said for somebody that can actually offer like a lived experience and can say, I see you because I've been through this myself, you know? Mm. Um, so yeah, the, mm. the initiative sounds really, really incredible. Um, Jarrell, like it's something that is, I think, yeah, I think we all agree that it's something that's really, really needed because um, the power of the Cari Caribbean diaspora is, I feel like it's like an untapped um, resource currently. Um, it's huge. Like there are so many of us um, and it, at least from my, where I am, it feels like we could be a lot better connected. So I feel like this initiative is, you know, one step in that direction where you know we really support each other um because yeah as a diaspora we've had obviously very differing experiences depending on where we've ended up in the world um but i think you know um like you said for us by us if we don't look out for ourselves then you know who's going to do it you know so yeah that's a really really great initiative Jerome. i'm very very proud to see that yeah it sounds amazing i was actually just skimming through i just went on the website as you guys were speaking and um i actually recognized a couple of, of of people as well from um when we were there which was yeah really cool to see so who Steffi. did you see yeah um i don't know if you would have remembered them patrick but there was um steffi um she's from dominica and then sydney he's also from dominica yeah i knew both of them like very vaguely like only for like just kind of like in passing, say hello, that kind of thing. But um, it was just nice to see their faces again on that platform. It's cool to see that um, there is that initiative to kind of reach back out and, and, and help out the next generation. Um, I wanted to ask a very, very kind of broad question. Um, and I think it's more, more so just like in general, in regards to academia and like the role that academia plays in wider society and, Jarrell, you as a scientist, um, the work that you do, the number of years that you've dedicated to your area of expertise and research, um, how you, I guess like in, in, in one sense, what I'm, I want to know is like what motivates you to do the work that you do and the research in particular that you're doing. Um, particularly, I think <laughs> in, a, in a circumstance where, and I'm assuming here, but you're probably doing something that's very kind of like, uh, that the general public might not understand necessarily if you explain what it is and you have to go into that crazy detail in order to like unpack it and what have you but like just like what motivates you to 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 get into the area of research that you're in how you feel it kind of like plays into the wider society and the importance of academia um, in regards to um, society as a whole I think there's a bit of a there's some opinions that academia is a bit divorced from real, real world applications and, and that kind of thing like um again super broad apologies it's not like really a question it's more just like what are your thoughts on like <laughs> on, on on like the role that scientists play in uh society and your experience yeah that's a very it's a very broad question indeed yeah i think academia 
is needed. So if I put it in, in very short, very short words for you, it's, it's necessary in pushing forward the knowledge that we have in society, like how we understand, well, in science, how we understand the world around us and how it works and our own bodies and our own biology. And we need this kind of, we need both research that is based on direct applications, but also fundamental research. And so where I work, the space that I work in is very multidisciplinary in that the work that we do and the findings that we get from our work can be extended to look at real world applications mm. but it also helps in pushing forward the fundamental understanding of in particular our biology and how our body functions and how our cells works and how we're able to say for example have one type of cell that does one particular function but another cell does a different function and so scientific research and academia in general is really needed to, so when I tell people, like, I remember when I was graduating for my PhD and my grandmother was like, what is a PhD? You're a doctor now, so can you like, can you like um, take care of like people? I'm like, no, I'm like, if you do a medical, if you do a medical um, degree, you can, you can apply the principles of medicine in real world life to take care of people. But the people who come up with like the new techniques and so on and the new medications, they're the ones doing the research, right? So you, you often sort of see, oh, real world applications, but then the applications come from the research, right? So the, the things that you learn about like how to make an engine better, how to make something, how to make a medication better, comes from that kind of fundamental research, whether it is funded by public funding or private funding. And so academia plays an integral part in society and in pushing forward like whatever we're doing in society. I think where the disconnect is, is that a lot of times that is not really communicated well to the, to the wider society. Mm. And so we just look like we're in this ivory tower, just like, pulling strings, whereas I think a lot of society um, don't really understand what we do. So if I were to take like a step, I know um, you probably don't want me to go too much in there, but if I were to take a step and explain what I do, I would say, well, if you think about um, this picture of the cell that you get taught in secondary school, mm -hmm. In that cell, you're told that the cell is organized in these compartments, such as the nucleus, the mitochondria, and so on. Now, all of these little compartments, they have membranes around them, right? So membranes act sort of like as barriers, right? But there are many environments inside the cell that are not enclosed by physical mem membranes. And so the question that my research is seeking to answer is how do these so-called membraneless organelles arise and how are their structures maintained without physical mem membranes? And why do we want to understand that? Well, these microenvironments have been implicated in neurodegenerative diseases, whereby these compartments can go from being seemingly liquid-like entities to a more solid-like state that become toxic inside of 
inside of the cell. And there's other work that has shown that these compartments might actually help to organize our genetic material, right? And that is something that we don't even understand in the year 2021. We understand how to sequence the genome and to sequence our genetic material, but we don't understand very well like what makes one cell express one particular type of phenotype or one particular type of um, protein, whereas another cell behaves in a completely diff different way. So what we're doing is at the heart really sort of fundamental research, but if we can understand the functions of these membraneless compartments inside cells, and we can understand their roles in genetic organization, then we can get to the real world applications of like tuning functions and developing therapies for the diseases that stem that or that possibly stem from these compartments, right? But we don't really communicate these things to by the public mm -hmm. as much as we should right mm -hmm. and so i think academia always feels remote to the wider society but it is is it is integral anything that gets advanced in society comes from some sort of research whether you're yep. doing it formally or informally or whether it's somebody in a kitchen just trying to figure out stuff they self and they say ha i come up with this new technique and they put it on tiktok it comes from <laughs> trial and error right so yeah. Our, the heart of society and what pushes society forward is research and being able to understand things better. And so it is necessary, but I think we as scientists need to do a much better job at communicating that with the public and bringing the public in more than we have, mm, I think. Mm. Yeah. That's an amazing answer, yeah, because... Um, and I think you did a great job just in your explanation now of like what it is that you are researching. And I'm mm. getting flashbacks of my like biology lessons and GCSE. And I'm like, oh, yeah, mitochondria and nucleus. And um, but it all, it, it, you explained it in a, in, a, in a way that was very clear and not like, yeah, it was, it was approachable. Accessible. Do you know what I mean? Accessible, exactly. Mm. Um, mm. So, yeah, I, I completely agree that is, is I, I personally feel like. Um, it'd be lovely if like the general public come and of course you can't force it but like if there was a way in which there was more of a dialogue and where there was more um, it was a lot more accessible for people to understand what this research is doing and mm. not seeing it as something that's just like reserved for the scientific community to know and how that information can be disseminated to the, the general public um, mm. but now that's amazing Thanks for that response. So it's a possible podcast idea, you know, you get like different Honestly. researchers on each week and they talk about how their research has like very like applicable real world, um, I guess, applicable applications. But yeah, you know what I mean? Like, um, yeah, that that I, 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 f I feel like, um, yeah, perhaps researchers need better PR. But um, yeah, that's, that's yeah, really yeah. cool. But it's funny because like, even if you read like the abstract for like a scientific paper, mm. it is of course like naturally it's a scientific paper so it's going to have scientific jargon and, and, and terminology but like mm -hmm. if an, there was an abstract and it said the reason why this is important because xyz and it could lead to the xyz or <laughs> yeah. whatever the case is yeah then yeah. it's like okay cool like I have a real motivation <laughs> okay, yeah, to like, fully like read this and like go <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah, yeah, um, yeah. but yeah I, I think even like like you said actually if as a podcast idea or just like general other like ways of of getting that information out that's mm. like someone that can tap into that is onto a winner i think yeah yeah um I, I had another question but um oh yeah that was it this is like um a lot more it's not as heavy as as um 
the previous questions have been. Um, so you're a fellow at Cambridge. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what that is? And like, because we, I guess we all kind of know a, a decent amount about what fellows do and who they are. Um, but for those that are listening, um, yeah, could you tell us, yeah, what is that like? Yeah, so as a fellow, your primary sort of responsibilities are to be part of the governing body of the college. So I am a fellow at King's College. And so decisions that are taken in terms of like um, student related and college related is really these decisions come from the fellowship, right? So you have the governing body and you meet regularly and discuss matters related to students. So that is one of our responsibilities, but your primary responsibility as a junior research fellow, which is what I am, is your research, right? So you get, so in my case, I would get a salary and my salary will go towards maintaining me so that I can be able to do research, right? So the college really cares that I am well taken care of in a manner that I could be able to do effective work. And so my day-to-day basis would be, I would be, in my case, I'm affiliated with departments. So I'm affiliated with the Department of Chemistry and um, as well as Physics and Genetics because this this multi-affiliation is not really normal, but it comes from the fact that my um, the PI of the lab that I'm work, working in, Dr. Colopado, she has um, joint relationships with this, she has affiliations with this department. And so I have become affiliated with this department through my work with her. Mm-hmm. And um, my primary goal in these spaces is to conduct research, is to be part of the um, research body. So I am more based in computational theoretical work. So I have these relationships in the department and I will also, I may also choose if I want to have different um, roles in the department in departments. So as a research fellow, I am currently also like co-supervisor for PhD students and for master's students. Mm-hmm. So you can choose to take on these additional roles, but the primary goal that the college cares about as a junior research fellow is that you are happy enough that you can do your research, right? So you can take on additional responsibilities such as teaching for the college and so on. Mm-hmm. But your main goal is to one, be part of the governing body and to do and to do research. So they pay you for, you have a contract for a certain amount of years. And then um, it is the hope that you can establish yourself as more of an independent researcher in this position okay. because I take technically the college is my boss at this stage. Mm. So, but I have the liberty to study whatever I want to study. Well, hopefully it would be in physical and chemical sciences because that is what um, my post is for. But I have the liberty to study any sort of like topics that I want. And in the hope that in doing that, you can establish yourself more independently to eventually have your own research group where you can like hire people. So it's like a transitionary period between between the PhD and having a position where you have a more like permanent right, research right. group. Yeah. Cool. Cool. And um, we spoke 
briefly before the we started recording about like the the perks of being a fellow um have you tapped into any of those perks yet um can you tell us a little bit about those yeah so you get several perks and different colleges give different um so you will get um accommodation in the college and you also get like dining rights so i can like eat in the college and they also give you um a grant that goes towards like if you want to buy anything for your for your research and um you get to go to high table <laughs> which i haven't got gotten to um experience due to the pandemic so far but i think more than well, I think we were discussing earlier that you get to walk on the grass, yeah, <laughs> which yeah. like if you don't go to Cambridge, like nobody else, like nobody else, like what you get to walk on the grass, like specifically only people... the like the, the nice grass, the nice grass. Do you know what's funny is like years, years and years later, I'm still like, am I allowed to walk on grass? Like, even if I'm in a park, I'm still like, can I walk on grass? Exactly. Yeah, but like even beyond those kind of like sort of like more sort of quote-unquote material perks i think you get to be a part of this sort of body of people that are all really excited about research and are really yeah. excited about um for um pushing forward knowledge in mm. in society and mm. so being part of a fellowship like that is like a good opportunity for somebody who is who is in the stage where they want to make a lot of like good connections and um yeah, yeah. just be inspired by other people yeah yeah yeah, and um, have you had um much support um from like I guess other fellows around the university for um like Carrie Scholar? Have you told any of your colleagues about that, or is that something that you're keeping quite close to your chest for now? Well, the PI of the lab of of um my lab that I work in, Colorado Lab, she's been very like supportive of mm. my work with Carrie Scholar. She's also really passionate about um diversity and inclusion in mm. academia mm. and i i have really been inspired by her and the work that she's done in that area but i think more so quote unquote telling people about Carrie scholar has been be sort of like reaching out to other people in the caribbean like sure, sure, other people right. yeah. um to spread the word so that more people can come on and also so that we can reach more students and help more students who who genuinely want to do something greater than just, you know, the the norm, you know. Sure, yeah. sure, sure. Cool man. That's it's it's been so interesting, um yeah, hearing about your journey and what you're doing and um yeah just being a, a guest like a trailblazer you know so um congratulations like it's it's we have so many inspiring chats and like this is just like another one and it's um yeah it's been a really great conversation um so i'm just aware of the time um yeah so i think i think this is a nice place to wrap up but before we do um just tell us um any any of the listeners um and listening in uh, where they can find you um you know on social media if you have any social media or um you know where they can find more information about carrie scholar 
Yes, so for Carrie Scholar, you can go to CarrieScholar.com. So Carrie from like Caribbean and Scholar as one word, CarrieScholar.com. Mm -hmm. And um, if you're interested in becoming a mentor, you can apply to become a mentor. Or if you want to be mentored, you can apply as well through the website. And you can find me on Twitter at Jarell, J-E-R-E-L-L-E-A-J. And I think my Twitter bio has like everything that links to other things. <laughs> so, yeah. Cool, cool. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much again for coming on. Um, and yeah, for anybody listening in, um, thank you so much for tapping in. And, um, you know, we haven't received any emails from our listeners in a little while. So, um, yeah, we miss you guys. Um, send us an email um, or hit us up on our socials. So um, you can find us at at OTB Podcast UK on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and if you'd like to send us an email, it is otbpodcastuk at gmail.com. Um, but yeah, I think for now, that is it from us. Have a lovely day, week, month, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. And um, yeah, we'll be back soon. Bye, everyone.